I actually think teeth are really bad design so i think we should have our uh, baby teeth for a lot longer so we should have them until we're like 20 odd because you you only have them for a few years oh yeah evie's have started falling out yeah yeah and then that's it you have one set of teeth for the rest of your life and we all know teenagers would just eat crap and drink whatever and smoke whatever and not necessarily look after their teeth and when you get older you've got the damage from your oh yeah I'm young with that adult now. teeth oh yeah i've had two taken out luckily they're at the back but um i mm. uh, yeah because i used to smoke like a bloody chimney do you know what i mean and they just i can't yeah. oh, i want to smoke again so hard i actually had one yesterday mm. which is very naughty isn't it no no mm. never I was I was seriously I was looking through um different pipes that I could buy and Emma caught me and forbade it <laughs> so I'm not allowed to buy a pipe. Oh uh, yeah no but you've you've got to think about the children now like I I am thinking about the children it's like a pipe it imbues a sense of authority and and aged wisdom. It also shortens their father's life. <laughs> so Hey up. I'm Joe Heathcote and this is consistently eccentric a British history podcast where we try to make sense of some of the lesser-known and more absurd people and events these islands have produced. So let's get started with... This particular story begins very specifically on February 17th, 1596. It's my favourite day. February 17th? Or fe- exact, specifically 1596? That exact year, yeah, that exact year as well. What are the chances of all the days in all the years? I happen to pick that one. Robert Toon was trying his best to be a good uncle. He had agreed to allow his sister-in-law's child, Thomas Darling, to stay with him and his wife in their house in Burton, which is in Staffordshire. So we're kind of in North Midlands. Not the uh, not the clothes shop. No, no. He... That doesn't exist anymore, does it? Yeah. It's gone. They allowed him to work in Burton menswear. And it was under <laughs> Darling's leadership that it finally hit the financial buffers. Was the that end. pre-Covid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The high street was taking a battering anyway, weren't it? I just from like ASOS and stuff. I know I bought. I mean, we didn't have a prom; we had an awards ceremony. But I know my awards ceremony suit came from Burton Menswear. Oh yeah. Did you look swish? Did you have a like a a coloured tie? What I looked like was a a kid who was probably about sixteen, but had the body of a ten-year-old trying to wear an adult (laughs) suit. It was not a flattering look. Uh, they, in, unless they're, like, proper tailored, they just look terrible. Oh, this was, this was as off the peg as you could get. And apparently small men. Yeah, I wasn't up to small man sort of size yet. <laughs> but, God damn it, I was, I was graduating high school. I wasn't going to... You know, I've got this image. Can you know, honey, I shrunk the kids. Yeah. <laughs> of just, like, a really tiny person in, like, really big clothes. It's, it's, I mean, I could probably find one of the pictures, but that's pretty accurate. Like, it, it was not a good fit. And the pants, although we got them turned up, you know, because of just the width of them, it almost looked like... You mean pants like, as in trousers? Yeah, yeah. It almost looked Damn. like I was wearing flares. I thought you meant you just turned up in your undergarments. That was the after party. Fine. Yeah. We were, we were all 16. It was fine. Legal okay. So, so, so we're, back in, we're back in Burton. Sorry, yes. Yes, so we're in Burton, Staffordshire. Uh, and they'd agreed for Thomas to come that he might have a better chance of advancement. After all, he was 13 at the time, which was more than of age to begin his working life. Mm. I mean, to be honest, he was a bit slow, if anything. 
Yeah, I was going to say, nine would have been more acceptable. Mm. A lazy, lazy so-and-so. Uh, the choice of Burton as a town with better prospects does make you question where Thomas's parents were living, though. Because mm. Burton Manor had been suggested as a potential place for Mary, Queen of Scots, to be incarcerated about ten years before, but it was rejected because, and this is a direct quote, it is a ruinous house, the buildings scattered and adjoining a very poor town, full <laughs> of bad neighbours. I mean, that just sounds like where I was brought up, to be honest, <laughs> but fine. It was also around 150 years before the town would become a centre for the brewing industry in England, so you couldn't even get a decent pint. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't even good enough for a prison. No. It, mm, it had nothing. Fail. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't good enough to be a prison. It wasn't a good enough place to make you grog. However, today, the football team are nicknamed the Brewers. And their badge ah. is literally a man with a beer gut kicking a football. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not a joke. If you check out the Burton Albion badge, it is literally a fat bloke kicking a football. I need to look that up. That sounds amazing. <laughs> so we can assume, though, that Thomas Darling had spent the first 13 years of his life in a dirt-floored hovel, wearing a sack and eating nothing but turnips. Fine. Because at this time, if Burton was a step up, you had not started from the best of places. No. Anyway, on this particular cold February morning, the 17th, Uncle Robert had decided to take young Thomas Darling to Winsfell Wood to hunt hares. After all, it was a Saturday... And Burton Albion had not been formed until 1950, so they couldn't go and watch the football. No. And the blokes had to do something while the tea was being cooked. So let's go hare hunting. Yeah. Traditionally in Britain, the hare hunting season runs from September until March. Hares are actually, and I looked this up, they're much easier to hunt than foxes or rabbits, as they have relatively small territories that they will not leave, because they have to fight quite hard to get them. Mm. And they live completely above ground. Oh, they're quite cute, aren't they? Yeah. They are, they are. They're not the kind of thing you'd look at and immediately go, I want to hunt you. No. I, d- like, I, I just want to pet you. More of a you. cuddle. I yeah. want a cuddle. Yeah. Well, in order to hunt them, what you basically do is you start chasing them. And the hare will start running around the borders of its territory. And then you can continue chasing it around and around its territory until eventually it becomes so knackered that you can dispatch it however you want. You can hit it with a brick. Oh. You, know, you can pick it up and throw it in a wood chipper. It's going to be so so knackered, it's not really going to be able to resist. Whatever whatever God. method of execution you, you choose to favour. Can you imagine? I get sad when I see, like, roadkill at the side of the road. I'd be terrible at hunting. Especially, especially if you hunted it and you sort of caught it, you know, like a humane trap and someone just threw it in a wood chipper. Like, we're, not, we're not getting anything out of it. It's all about I was going to say, you get, you get no meat. you'll get no meat from that. Yeah, you get absolutely nothing. It's as Put pointless it as normal hunting these days. To be honest, with fox hunting, it's like, no one's... I've never been offered fox. I know, it's cool. We get so many round here in London. Mm. Um, and I know I mentioned Glasgow earlier, so your listeners might be confused. <laughs> I currently live in London. I move into Glasgow. I'm sitting in a room on my own with a microphone in, like, a really pale, white, modern building. So, um, yeah, that's my life. And when you move to Glasgow, you'll be sat in a room... <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't because it's so cheap up there. I'll be, ri- I will be like a fucking king. I will be sat in a castle. I didn't mean to swear on your podcast. Sorry, I swear on it all the fucking time. Don't worry about it. How fucking dare you? Mm. 
Actually, we shouldn't make a thing of that. I'm sure at least one child has listened once. So they were hair hunting. That's where we were at. Mm. So they started just running through the wood, hoping to startle a hare, because that's how you started the chase, uh, when they got separated. Now, the wood was only about half a mile from the Toon's house, so Thomas Darling wasn't particularly worried about getting separated from his uncle. And because he was a 13-year-old kid, rather than try and search for his uncle or wait where he was and allow his uncle to search for him, he just wandered about a bit, you know, seeing what he could find under rocks, throwing sticks at things. Uh, And he was thinking about heading home when he came across an elderly woman. Hmm. Now, as I've said before, Thomas obviously came from a place worse than Burton and had not yet mastered all the subtleties of politeness and manners. (laughs) Was he like, streaker? (laughs) Well, as a result of his lack of tact and social graces, he decided to fart in the general direction of the old woman as they passed each other. <laughs> Not even hello. No, no, he just... <laughs> well, to be fair, he he referred to it as letting forth a scrape. <laughs> I am taking that. If I take nothing else from this podcast. No, he, he did a scrape. Um... I, am s- <clears throat> I am letting forth one scrape. Understandably, the old woman did not like having a teenager fart on her. Mm. So she responded by shouting a curse at Thomas. And the curse went thusly. Jip with a mischief and fart with a bell. I'll go to heaven and thou shalt go to hell. (laughs) Witty, if nothing else. Very good. You feel like that was pre-prepared. I mean, I wouldn't wouldn't be able to come up with that off, off the top of my head. It's like, you know, when you have a discussion with someone or, like, a disagreement and then you go back and you're like, oh, I should have said that and I should have said this. And then it ends up winding its way into the fabrication of the story when you start telling it. you did say that, yeah. Yeah, I definitely said that. You're like, oh, my God, that's so witty. I never really said that. Well, to be fair, this is Thomas's version of events, that that's what she said. So so she's not embellishing the story. If, If anyone's embellishing stories here... It's fart boy. It's fart boy Thomas Darling. Fine. But anyway, he farted on her, she shouted a curse at him, and they both went on their way. Probably both feeling they'd won the exchange. Mm. Thomas found his uncle, and they decided to head home, sadly, without any hairs for the pot. Oh. Yeah, because, it, it, you know, it devolved into a sort of fart off with an old village crone, so... <laughs> uh, cut our losses. So that evening, they settled down to a vegetable-based dinner, and all seemed well until Thomas abruptly vomited up his tea and began insisting that he could see green angels stood by the window and a green cat running about the floor. Was he on absinthe? Well, the green would lead you to think absinthe, wouldn't it? The old Mm. green lady. But I will point out that the symptoms of being poisoned by toxic mushrooms can include vomiting and hallucinations. Mm. And that with many varieties, the symptoms can be delayed by a good few hours. And I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that an unsupervised 13-year-old boy who thinks nothing of breaking wind on the elderly might pick and eat some mushrooms without really thinking about the ramifications. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So that's right from the off, you know, from the outset. That's prob- that's a more plausible explanation for what, what happened. The thing with mushrooms, because there's so many varieties and a lot of them are, like, poisonous. Mm. Like, it would have just been trial and error, wouldn't it? Like, oh, I'll eat this one. Hey, I'm alive. I'll eat this one. Oh, no, they died, so guys, don't eat that one. Yeah, they. I think that's the important thing. I think it was somebody 
having other people eat the mushrooms. Like, mm, yeah. When you're conquering a new land, you get a load of your sort of lower down soldiers, and you go, right, come on, lads, we're go- we've got a um, just a nice long table filled with things we found, and we'd like you to eat all of the berries, nuts, fungi, animals, everything that I we mean- found, and we'll see if you die or not. Mushrooms don't look very nice either, do they? It's not like I mean, I I love the taste of mushrooms. I think that I love a mushroom risotto. Mm. Like that's just that's just me. But they just they just look awful, don't they? Like why would you go in the woods and be like, hey, I'm going to eat this fungi growing off this tree? I mean, the first people to do it, fair play to them. But at least now we know. You know, we've mm. we've got that sort of. Um, yeah, we've watched MasterChef. We're happy to go, oh, actually, you know, I trust John T. Road. I think if he's telling me it's edible, he doesn't look dead just yet. And I'm that was it. the end of Joseph Heathcote. <laughs> My wife really hates the fact, I know his name's John T. Road. I refer to him as John T. Road. <laughs> and she hates that I do that. But I just, I just think he looks like peeve. a John T. You know, if, if you ask me what is that man's first name, John T. He's got that kind of, you know, happy-go-lucky little smile on his face. Fine. Is this going to be a disagreement between you and your wife for ever and a day? It, well, it's been ten years, so I assume okay. it's, it's, it's bedded in. But it's either way, the, the mushroom theory, that's what I'm saying has happened. Yeah. But they didn't know. The, the tunes, they had no idea why the young ward had suddenly vomited everything all over the floor and started claiming he can see angels and a green cat. So Thomas's aunt Elizabeth decided to get a medical opinion, and she took a sample of Thomas's piss to the local physician. Mm-hmm. Because although urinalysis was not a thing in the 1500s, doctors used a process called uroscopy instead. This relied very much on observing the urine and the colour, consistency, clarity, and presence of any sediments, which would all provide a clue as to which of the four humours was out of balance. Now, sniffing and tasting the urine were optional extras, and it was the original means of diagnosing diabetes. Oh, okay. Was that to do with the taste of the sugar or the bitterness? Yeah, it would be. So one of the ways you could check if someone was diabetic is that the piss is likely to be quite sweet tasting. I believe um, diabetes um, mellitus, isn't it? Doesn't that mean honey siphon? I believe it means something like honey siphon. So that it, I mean, you work for the NHS, so I do not. So I do not know these things. So there's a even in the name of the disease, there's a reference to sweetness because that's the the main way to tell. But unfortunately for Thomas, his urine revealed nothing. Mm. It seemed like good, strong North Midland piss. Gentlemen's wee. Yeah, it was. It wasn't particularly um, dark. It wasn't particularly light. It was. It was very middle of the road wee. Mm. Um, so the doctor shrugged his shoulders and said he's probably bewitched or something. That'll be it. He'll be bewitched. That's, that's, do you know what? Back up against the wall, my medical opinion is this boy is bewitched. To be honest, I think that's the most valid suggestion. Oh, is it just trumped my mushroom theory? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if someone farted on me, I would put a curse on them as well. Mm. Do you know someone was sick on me when I was in a nightclub once? Oh, and you put a curse on them? I put a curse on them to this day. So I was dancing, I was having a having a nice time, and I had a hoodie on. Ooh. And then all of a sudden I felt this warm, sticky liquid <laughs> down my neck. Oh, no, and then so my into your hood. Then my hood became heavier. And I was like, oh, what, what on earth was that? 
Someone had yep. used your hood as a makeshift. Someone had proper chundered oh. in my hood. And I wasn't wearing anything underneath the hoodie, right? So I had to take the hoodie off and walk around bare-chested all evening. Um, <laughs> I mean, I was very drunk. I didn't yeah, really care. I love care, the fact but... it was all evening. It's not... And I took off my top and then I went home. Is I took off my top and then carried on. Carrying... I did. I went, I went stage diving and everything. I was like, oh, it's off now. But uh, like, this is when I was very slim and I, I looked all right with a top off. <laughs> so, um, I mean, now everyone would be horrified. They'd be like, ooh, the monster. You know, that barely's going to get you fit. Yeah, it'd be like I that. I remember that. Well, I yeah. guess it depends where you, you know, where you were drinking and partying. Because there are some clubs that I partied in where the the top age limit was eighteen, because it was literally the place where all the underage kids went. And I think if, as a thirty odd year old man, you suddenly just wandered into a bar like that, topless, there, there probably there, would be some yes, questions. There would be some questions. No, this was at uni, so this was our um, uni. Oh, the uni bar thing, yeah. And um, oh, it was wicked though. It was really good. We saw the Kaiser Chiefs there. It was very fun. Um, yeah, and a lot of it, like that whole indie pop scene was going on at the time. We all were wearing like the skinniest jeans. And see, I, I was I was into indie music at that point, but skinny jeans passed me by completely. Oh, we were wearing ties and t-shirts and just thinking we were so bloody cool. You were. Um, I would I would argue that I'm actually cooler now than I was then, and I'm not cool, so... It's the self-awareness that makes you cool. Yeah, fine. So anyway, back to our bewitched young boy. Yes. Or is he? Because Elizabeth mm. Toon, she was sceptical, and she decided, let's go and get a second opinion. And the second doctor, he looked at the jar of wee, and he went, ah, ha-ha, I completely agree with my colleague, he's bewitched. So... After having the second opinion confirm the first opinion, they decided we're kind of just going to have to go along with this bewitchment idea. Uh, And they got in touch with a local cunning man, was his official title, a local cunning man called Jesse B to treat their nephew. So there's a a job description. I like it. I also like the name Jesse B. Mm. And it's B B double E. It's not like... Ah, Jesse and his bees. He's he's good at diagnosing diabetes, is Jesse B. Because he, he loves to drink that sugary, sugary nectar that comes from diabetics. But he he decided to treat young Thomas by reading Bible verses to him. I mean, because obviously that is proven standard Standard bewitchment mm. protocol. Yeah. Thomas, understandably, in my sort of opinion, appeared to experience another fit that only appeared to ease when B stopped reading verses from the Bible. So basically, Um. someone who was still probably quite sick had a random bloke come in and start loudly reading Bible verses, and he appeared to be in discomfort while this was happening. And then when the man stopped loudly reading Bible verses in his face, he calmed. And this was Mm. enough to convince B that Thomas was not just bewitched, but had in fact become infested with demons. I mean, yeah, fine. It's, you know, it's obvious. If you can't stand a man shouting Bible verses in your face, the only explanation is demons. I mean, absolutely. Everything that you, you're saying right now, I yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you know, you're going along with the obvious you know, mm. route and you're not asking stupid questions like, how did the demons get in him? 
We know how that happened already. Mm. Well, yes, because he asked the 13-year-old boy if there was, I don't know, anyone who might have wanted to place a curse on him. Mm. And Thomas, who was, let's be fair, probably enjoying the attention he was getting and the fact he was being allowed to stay in bed and get out of chores, he told B and his aunt and uncle about his running with an elderly woman in the wood. Mm. Now, you'd think such a vague description wouldn't turn up any suspects, but as word of the demon possession of Thomas got around Burton, most people agreed that it was probably Elizabeth Wright. She was a local crank who was better known as the Witch of Stepping Hill. (laughs) Yep, definitely her. Mm. Burn it! Well, she had been arrested at least four times for suspected witchcraft, but was never actually convicted. So, I mean, can you imagine just going about your daily business and people are like, "Which?" and you're like, "No, I'm just, I'm just really tired and old. Just please leave me alone." But it's not even that. It's people coming and going, "Which?" and then someone dragging you before a magistrate, and two lawyers having hours of argument over whether you are a witch or not before eventually sort of going, "Well, she's probably not a witch," and letting you go on about your day, confused, bewildered, and a bit scared. And that happening three more times in your life, just randomly. (laughs) But as far as the locals were concerned, uh, there's no smoke without fire. Um, Mm. So even though she's got away with it, that's just because she's a cunning witch. And this dodgy place of Burton. Yeah, she's got this. She's got the magistrate in her pocket. That's all it is. Mm. She knows what she's doing, yeah. Yeah, she's infiltrated to the very highest levels of local bureaucracy to protect herself. Yeah. There was a slight wrinkle in the theory. Uh, as Elizabeth, by this time, was pushing 80 years old, and she could barely walk outside of a house, let alone go tramping through a wood in the middle of winter. Oh, I bet they made it fit, though, didn't they? Well, they they thought about it, these locals, for a few minutes, uh, and then they suddenly remembered that Elizabeth had a 60-year-old daughter called Alice Goodridge. <laughs> And they thought, well, if her mum's definitely um, probably never been convicted of, but we think she is a witch, uh, she must have taught her witchy skills to her daughter. Uh, And do you know what? She was probably sent by her mum to just go out and find a boy to curse, because that's what witches like to do. They like to go out and randomly curse young boys. Mm. So just to be safe, and based on a mixture of prejudice and the testimony of a 13-year-old boy, both women were arrested. And to be doubly safe, they also arrested Alice's husband and daughter too, in case it was actually a warlock or a third-generation witch who caused the issue. So they were covering all bases. Yeah, yeah. It's bases? Like bases. She, she could, because she's a cunning witch, this Elizabeth, rather than teach her daughter, because they know we'd be looking out for that, she taught her son-in-law and made him into uh, a powerful warlock. Yep, sneaky. Well, not sneaky enough to get around the good people of Burton. Mm, they 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 know the score. Mm. And Thomas, he was probably surprised when he was presented with a 60-year-old woman in his bedroom and asked if this was the woman who he had met in the woods. He had been having to regularly appear to experience episodes of demon possession at this point in order to not be rumbled in what was, you know, an obvious lie. And he probably hoped that whatever was going on with this woman suddenly being presented to him would provide him with an excuse to go back to his normal life. Because faking a, a demonic possession, I'm sure, is a great laugh on day one and day two. But after a week of it... Oh, so he's dug himself to... a... Yeah, he's dug himself a hole, hasn't he? And now he's stuck in this hole. Mm. And it's almost like they're throwing a life raft and going, is this the woman? And he's thinking, OK, I, 
things are moving on now. I don't just have to continue the demon possession. Yes, yes, that that's probably the woman. Why not? How, how can I stop being full of demons, please, now? Thomas was asked to scratch Alice in order to test if she was a witch or not. <laughs> Possibly misunderstanding the test and probably not wanting to hurt a random old woman he'd clearly never seen before, Thomas didn't scratch too hard. And this turned out to be a mistake, as it was a lack of bleeding that indicated that the accused was a witch. So when you have, you know, you can see the, the um, needles that witch finders used to use. Mm. It was a lack of bleeding. What they were actually searching for was for witches' marks that were hidden under the skin. So when they were pricking, it's kind of like, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you're accused of being a witch and you strip naked and go, look, not a blemish upon my beautiful milky skin, the witch finder can just turn around and go, aha, that is just because the devil is cunning and he has hidden the witch's mark under the skin. And I will. So you basically just say what you like. Yeah. And then you poke until you find a bit where there's no sensation or less sensation. So normally on the back and you use the fact that you've managed to prick this woman uh, mm. and she has not reacted and not bled as a way of going to the witch. I don't bleed much. It's really hard to get like a blood sample. You know, like when you do them drip things in yeah. the, the pots and stuff. I just no one can ever get any blood out of me. It just honestly, it just you prick it and then like it. Um, what is it when it just dries up? Clot it. <laughs> Clot, it just does that straight away. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Excuse me, I just need a... Yeah. Witch, witch finders, yeah, I've got one. Yeah, he's, he's moving to Glasgow, he's trying to run. Follow him. Okay, <clears throat> anyway, let's move on. Uh, as a result, the good people of Burton, seeing that she hadn't bled, they contacted the local magistrate, a man by the name of Thomas Gresley. He listened to their evidence and scoffed. He wanted something more concrete before he would actually arrest two women who, be fair, had a combined age of 140 years on this earth. Or, Especially at that date as well. Like, that's really old. If you prefer, over 10 times the combined age than their accuser. So he sort of looked at it and went, yeah, I, I don't feel like I can just take the word of a 13-year-old boy I mean, I, I kind of want Burton. to because I love a good witch hunt, but we need something else. Yeah, we need some more evidence. I'm only joking. The two women and their extended oh. family were <laughs> all arrested straight away <sighs> uh, and taken to Derby Jail to all undergo further tests. It was believed at this time that one of the few ways curses could be removed was by the person who made the curse agreeing to lift it. That meant that Thomas was going to have to keep experiencing regular fits of demonic possession until either Elizabeth or Alice admitted to the crime and freed the boy of his affliction. Mm. Either that or he would have to admit that he was faking the entire damn thing. And Thomas was too far in now. Oh, that's yeah. it. it. It was a bit of a lark, but now two women and you know their families were all in Derby jail. It's like... It's gone beyond a prank. This isn't farting on an old woman. This is like some serious obstructing the course of justice kind of shit. I mean, yeah. God, can you imagine if you told a lie like that deep? Well, you, you just well, you had got to that run. In, yeah. yeah, you just had to run with it. I couldn't do it. I'd buckle under the pressure. Yeah, I, th- I think, to be honest, as soon as they presented the woman to me, I'd be going, 
actually, I just felt sick. And then you told me I was bewitched. And I just felt, oh, maybe I can get out of doing just, just one day of turnip picking. And I'm really sorry, but I, I'm not. I'm out. That'd be me. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like in Dragon's Den. I'm <laughs> oot. Well, to be honest, if I think it's the equivalent. I go into Dragon's Den with my idea. And then halfway through the pitch, I go... Actually, actually, you know what? I'm 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 faking this confidence. Um, I've lied to you. I've lied to myself. Um, I've let my family yeah, down. I've spent all the savings on a pie in the sky idea. And what would your pie in the sky idea be? I do not know what I'd do off the top of my head. Do you know what I would like <clears throat> to do? Have you? Oh, have you? Have you got your dragon's den pitch all lined up? Well, I I just want to build the real life chitty chitty bang bang car. It's it's been done. It's, it lives up north. There's a gentleman from Lytham, I think, who bought. Yeah, but it does. It doesn't fly, surely. No, no. He bought the the plans to the original car. No, but from I want it Disney. to fly. Oh, you want to? Well, a flying car exists. No, don't. No, I want that specific car to fly, and I want to sing Trudy Scrumptious well, no. dancing around a car. You can do two of those three things immediately. In fact, I'm going to do it now. Goodbye. <laughs> Can you imagine just some weirdo dancing outside of his, his house and his, his car? They'd be like, witch! Like, just witch. dancing around a random person's Ford Escort. <laughs> Truly scrumptious. <laughs> I don't think you'd be going to Glasgow. I think you'd be going to a secure institution. <laughs> to the asylum. So, 15 miles away from Thomas and his moral quandary that he had to consider mm. in Derby Jail, the two accused witches were also having to make some difficult choices. They were being stripped naked and searched for witches' marks, and both knew that they had more than a few warts that could be a bit of an issue. Alice selected to try a bit of DIY cosmetic surgery and oh. cut two warts out of her belly. Elizabeth... Same. I was going to say, I've actually cut a skin tag off before myself. Mm-hmm. Did it, did it bleed a bit? A lot. Yeah. I got some scissors and, like, hacked it off. Were it was, like, on my belly. Yeah, but were you doing this using implements you could find in a prison? In a prison? No. No. Kitchen scissors. Yeah. <laughs> hey, probably, I'm going to guess you had, like, a plaster there for afterwards. Yeah, there's no mark there now. It's like it never well, existed. Did I did. Um, but Elizabeth... She was already suffering due to the harsh prison conditions and the fact that she was 80 goddamn years old. And she was so warty anyway that there would have been serious concerns that she wouldn't have had any skin left if they started trying to remove every blemish that might be used against her. Bless her. In the event, though, it didn't matter. The panel of witnesses took the fresh wounds on Alice as a sign of guilt, insisting that it marked the spot where the devil had recently been sucking her blood. Guilty. Yeah, they then insisted that two particularly large growths on Elizabeth were, and I quote, much like the udder of a ewe that giveth, giveth suck with two teats. <laughs> How? And we think, like, cosmetic magazines are harsh now. Jesus yeah. Christ. You have on your back what appears to be sheep's udders, uh, and we believe you're using them to suckle a familiar. So... Yeah. It doesn't matter that you're, like, old and naturally our yeah. bodies. She's like, firstly, it's untrue, and secondly, it's very hurtful. <laughs> I try yeah. my best, but I'm 80. I think that's fair. <clears throat> but with the solid evidence confirmed, the authorities were free to begin with the fun bit, the formal interrogations. 
Sir Humphrey Ferriers was the man tasked with getting a confession, and he was enthusiastic in his work. So enthusiastic, in fact, that Elizabeth Wright was soon dead. What? Well, that went quickly. She was 80. She'd been living in prison for a couple of weeks by that point, um, which were drafty, cold. Um, she hadn't been fed well. You know, she'd been stripped naked at least once. Gruel. She's yeah. been fed on gruel. So she wasn't in the best place for an enthusiastic interrogator. Uh, so, yeah, that just left her daughter as the only person who could potentially free Thomas Darling from his regular demon visitations. Thomas sounds like a dickhead. Well, he's probably sat at home hearing reports like, don't you worry, they've killed one of them already. Oh, you know, you'll mate, soon be free. You've... And he's going, shit, 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 shit. Oh, how could he live with that? Well, at this point, by regularly pretending to be possessed by demons. Which, again, you know, this is months in. This is mm. months of demon possessions. And some people have said, oh, it's epilepsy. And it's like, well, yeah, it might be. So that did enter my head, but it sounds like uh, a prank that's kind of just gone a little bit wrong. Yeah. Especially because, you know, if it's if it's epilepsy, we've got to finish the story, but he'd have to be, you know, experiencing these demon possessions, these fits for, for the rest of his life because we didn't have any epilim. We didn't have any, you know, drugs that no, could... No, no, no. But, yeah, so he's he's sort of, you know coming to the harrowing realisation that he has been responsible for the death of an elderly person. Alice was interrogated for two days. This mainly involved putting her feet into a fire and shouting at her to confess. <laughs> Again. I, I shouldn't laugh, sorry. Sir Humphrey, he was almost homicidally enthusiastic about his job. He just loved it. He, he wasn't messing about with sort of like the lower sort of levels of torture. He was immediately roasting this poor woman's feet and just screaming, Confess! You did it! Tell us how you did it! With this persuasion, Alice remembered that she had indeed cursed Thomas. She had been so insulted by the farting that she had sent the devil himself after Thomas in the form of a small red and white dog called Minnie. Aww. Which is a lo- You wouldn't think that the, you know, the king of all evil, the grand manipulator, that the prince of lies would sort of consent to be uh, embodied as a small... I'm imagining something like a Pomeranian. Um, you know, a little red and white Pomeranian. I mean, I think it's quite cute. I, I, I feel like if the devil was a was a ting, mm. that um, he probably gets a little bit misunderstood. He's just... I see him as quite like a, a, a fabulous character. And by <laughs> fabulous, I mean um, he wears like a shawl or a scarf and just... Rocks around with his little pooch or cat, and um, but then he can turn really nasty if you piss him off. Like, but normally he's just a cool, he's cool just guy. a cool character. Yeah, he's just cool. Just be a bit more, just be a bit more careful around old, old Lucifer, old Lucifer. Yeah, be careful. yeah. He just wants love too. He's just everyone keeps telling him he's a bad guy, and maybe he's not bad. He's just misunderstood. Well, maybe that's why he manifested as a small dog. Because everyone gives a small dog a little bit of a tickle, a little bit oh, of love. Oh, we did, yeah, we did. He just wanted belly oh. rubs. The devil just wants a belly rub. <laughs> we have solved religion. <laughs> Tick. Give the devil a belly rub. We're all good. Thomas, though, he would have been pleased to hear of the confession, as on the same day, he was visited by a group of Puritan ministers that included oh. a man with wild eyes called John Darrell, who confided to the tunes that he had dabbled in exorcism 
you know, if they were interested. He'd done an exorcism, you know. So, yeah, if if things don't go well with the old witch... Uh, He's I, your man. I'm, I'm Plan B. Just refer to me as Plan B. Unfortunately, though, it turns out that burning the skin off someone's feet and then putting them back in a prison cell covered with decades of dirt, shit, and other disgusting things is a surefire way to ensure an infection. Mm. The particular infection that Alice Goodrich got quickly developed into septicemia. And Alice Goodrich died in agony. Sadly, unable to remove the terrible curse of Minnie the dog. Poor Minnie. Mm. So, with both the witches dead, Thomas was horrified to learn that his aunt and uncle had asked for the Puritan exorcist, John Darrell, to come back with a few of his mates to sort out the demon possession thing once and for all. This is... This is extreme, man. This has just got way over the top. Well, for for Thomas, this shit's just got real because all the stuff with the witches was kind of at arm's length. He was just being oh. told about what was happening at a jail. Now it's all going to be happening to, to him. him in his house. And oh, unfortunately, God. two women are dead, so he really is stuck with what's happening The thing happening is, if he, if he turned around now and be like, oh, I was lying, they'd be like, well, you're a murderer now as well. So you're going to hang. Yeah, he's he's pretty much got no choice but to see what John Darrell's going to do. He's fudged, is what we're saying. Yes. After all the swearing we've done in this episode, now is the I time. I know, I, I just got some moral compass. <laughs> well, John Just Dar- now. <laughs> John Darrell had, to be fair to him, at least performed an exorcism before. Well, he'd at least started an exorcism before. In 1586, when he had been only 21 years old, John Darrell had taken it upon himself to try and drive some demons out of a girl called Catherine Wright. Friends pointed out that exorcism appeared to be a prime example of Catholic rituals that were exactly the kind of thing that Puritans were taking a stand against. However, John Darrell had already bought himself a special hat for the occasion and would not be dissuaded. Well, so it must... Obviously continue. He's fashioned a new garment for himself. Yeah, and I think it was one of those... He quite liked the bad boy image that the Puritans had because they were taking a stand against the established church at the time. But also he quite liked the idea of doing exorcisms because if there's one bit of the Catholic church that's kind of cool... It's the exorcism. Well, it's definitely not the kiddie fiddling. It's the exorcism because everyone loves the exorcist. The Catholic church is very bling, isn't it? Very bling. And then the Puritans... Oh, my God. You see all these old, like, movies, especially when the Puritans kind of moved over to, like, the New World, like, New England. It just seems so bleak. So repressed. So, so, and everything's grey and there's no food and everyone's just miserable when it's like... Well, you say they're all miserable. I say if you went to, you know, Mr and Mrs Goodwife's um, bedroom after hours you would see some of the most depraved stuff because they're having to bottle everything in all day mm. in front of all of their neighbours and then they finally get just this, a couple of hours before they put their heads on their very hard pillows. Some sexy time. And they, they would have just gone nasty, <laughs> feral in that room. <laughs> feral. Oh. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's, they probably thought, you know, they, they, they were big believers in, like, like the banshees and ghosts and stuff. Mm. Maybe oh, yeah, it was that just, was just people having raw, Really good, good loving. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good for them. Yeah, good for those horny, horny Puritans. Especially considering we're recording this on uh, Thanksgiving, so... 
Oh, is it? Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving everyone. to everybody who um, is thankful, which doesn't include any of the indigenous peoples. I've got a really funny story about Thanksgiving, quickly. Okay. So I don't ruin your podcast. Um, so when I was in uh, San Francisco, I was flying home on um, Thanksgiving and this lovely lady from the airline came up and, and had a microphone and she was like, everyone, we're going to do a gobble-gobble competition. And I'm I'm like, what? what is a gobble-gobble competition? And um, the Americans among us, they kn- they knew what it was and they were ready, right? So it was basically you had to do an impression of a turkey mm-hmm. very loudly mm-hmm. on the microphone and whoever did it, the loudest and the best impression of this turkey gobbling would get an upgrade. So everyone, everyone was going wild. And I think it was only me and this English bloke that were sitting next to each other. And we were like looking at each other like, what on earth (laughs) is going on? And the microphone came to you and you went, no, we are far too British. (sighs) Even with the upgrade, we... Uh, Gobble, gobble. (laughs) But honestly, they proper went for it. And like people were cheering and it was just... I mean, it was it was insane. I loved it, though. It was yeah. like, gobble, gobble. If it got to you, you should go, my dear, we eat goose. <laughs> Is it grouse hunting season? I will honk like a goose for you. <laughs> <laughs> the majestic call of the mute swan is what you shall get, and you shall be happy for it. The queen's Good day bird. to you. <laughs> to the queen. Her health. I hope she doesn't die in between me recording this and putting it out. Otherwise, that seems a bit callous. Can you imagine? Oh, she's not going to die. Ah, uh, she was driving the other day, weren't she? Just chilling. Just chilling out in a Range Just Rover. chilling in a car. Because that went great with, with for Philip. With no bloody driving licence. She drove trucks in the war. I don't see her applying to the DVLA in Swansea. <laughs> no, she has someone do it for her. Anyway... <laughs> Against the wishes of practically everyone, John Darrell performed a bodge-together exorcism that unsurprisingly failed. Mm. However, John Darrell was not someone to take personal responsibility, and he instead decided that his amazing exorcism skills were not at fault, but had been thwarted by the witch who had cast the curse originally on this... And to be honest, there was no actual um, evidence that Catherine Wright had experienced demonic possession. It's almost like he picked a random girl out from a crowd. Went, you there, you're full of demons. And she went, oh, am I? Yes, don't worry, I'll cast them out. And I wish al- someone would cast mine out. Well, it seems like it was almost like a case of, you know, she, she was thrust into this role and she was like, okay, well, I, I better play along, otherwise he'll be sad. So she started pretending to be um, possessed by demons. But when he couldn't cast out these demons, because she was probably having too much fun playing playing a, a, a demon-possessed woman, because it probably meant Maybe she was, she was an actress. Well, if nothing else, she was allowed to say all the bitchy shit about the other local women that she wouldn't have gotten away with otherwise. May the power of Christ compel you. <laughs> that Minnie, she's an absolute whore. <laughs> it was the demons. It wasn't me. It was the demons. What an absolute bitch. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. Janet took thirds of cake and she didn't even pay for one. <laughs> it was Minnie. But yeah, they'd, uh, he decided that all he needed to do was find the witch who cast the curse originally. Because that was, you know, what you do if you can't get rid of the demons yourself. You find the person okay. who cast them. So even better, though, 
he was able to use his previously secret witch-finding skills, because he was also pretty good, natural talent at witch-finding, to identify the crone responsible, who was a local woman, about three doors down, conveniently, called Margaret Roper. John Darrell decided there wasn't a second to lose, and he dragged the unfortunate Margaret, who was probably just going about a day beforehand, uh, to the local magistrate, a man called Godfrey Fuljambi. Is that his real name? Yeah, well, it's F-O-L-J-A-M-B-E. I like it. Godfrey Fuljambi. To formally accuse her and to ask for some justice to be dispensed. Now, Fuljambi, he looked at the clearly terrified woman. He then looked at the clearly disturbed 21-year-old witch finder slash exorcist in the silly hat. And amazingly, he decided he wasn't going to side with John Darrell on this one. Instead, he explained the terms abduction and false imprisonment very slowly to John, making it clear that if any similar incidents occurred again, John Darrell would likely find himself in prison. John took the hint and moved out of town, though as far as he was concerned, he had solved the case of the demonic possession, so he chalked it up as a moral victory. So in his mind, he had found the person who had possessed um, young Catherine. Success. And he had presented that person to the authorities. It's just that the authorities, they weren't ready for his raw stylings. You know, Mm. he was fighting against the establishment. So he he just said, well, I think I did a great job at that exorcism. That being said, he did take a break from the old exorcism game for the next 10 years, focusing more on his law practice (laughs) and his puritanical preaching career. Uh, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. I, I'm done with exorcisms. I'm going to study law, and I'm going to preach the shit out of you all. As you can see, my rational mind has been clearly demonstrated, and I am the perfect person to defend you. But the possession of Thomas Darling came at the perfect time. Came at the perfect time for him, as it was a few months after John Darrell's nemesis, and, let's be fair, probably a grand high priest of Satan himself, Magistrate Godfrey, had died. Oh, no. What? So it's almost like he hadn't been doing exorcisms for ten years because he was very, very scared of Godfrey. (laughs) But Godfrey was dead now. So he was free from the threat of prosecution and John Darrell was ready to have another crack at the exorcism game. After all, he was ten years older, he was ten years wiser. Those lawyering skills would help when he was having to question demons. He'd been preaching and studying the Bible for ten years longer. He was, if anything... He was now a grizzled veteran. Fine. Daryl started the process by falling into a trance. He travelled through the astral planes and was able to return with the knowledge that Thomas Darling was in fact possessed by two demons. And they had two. names. Uh, and I, I, love, I love these names so much. Okay. They were called Glassop and okay. Rodolphus. <laughs> Why not? Now, as every good Roman Catholic knows... As soon as you have the name of a demon, the exercising of it is a relatively simple process. And most of an exorcism rite is trying to trick the demon into revealing its name. So all you do is you just question the demon, question the demon, question the demon, until eventually it lets slip its name. And then you you can pretty much go, ah, got you. And you can cast it out. (laughs) You're it. Tag. Yeah. So, you know, it should have been, that, that was it done. Daryl decided that that would be a bit boring. 
So he decided it, it it couldn't just end there, and he decided to start his own special exorcism process. He gathered a few other lay preachers into the Toon House and announced that everyone would now have to fast and pray until the demons had been removed. So that was it. Okay. It's like we're locking, everyone pray. Yeah, we're locking the doors. No more food's coming in. No one's sleeping. You keep your eyes awake, sir, and we are going to pray until those demons leave. <laughs> P- possibly just from the fact that they're being annoyed out of the... It sounds like a very controlling character. Mm. Well, it, this is the this is the John Darrell show, you know. Yeah. He Because he's been welcomed in by this family. The Toons are, are desperate by this point, and the two witches have died, so they're, they're terrified because they were told, don't worry, don't, as soon as we get the confession from the witches and they lift the curse, it'll be fine. And they're both dead. So this is this is like the Hail Mary pass that they're trying here. Fine, yeah. After the first afternoon and night with no food, Thomas Darling decided he needed to do something to put an end to the whole possession joke. Because it looked like if he didn't, John Darrell would literally force him to be starved to death. Yeah. Just, couldn't he just be like, yeah, the demon's gone now, I'm fine? Well, yes, but no. I think he recognised that John Darrell was someone for whom the performance was everything. Ah, uh, okay, so he needed to give the best show. Yeah, he couldn't just go, oh, well done, they've gone. Because that that wouldn't make a good story for John Darrell. That wouldn't vindicate him. So he faked falling into a trance of his own and began Neither. speaking in the voices of the two demons that John Darrell had named. Let me out. And some of that conversation is described in the testimony of the local cunning man, Jesse B. Yes. Because he was there to, to write it all down. Oh, he's back. Brother Glassop. We cannot prevail. His faith is so strong. And they fast and pray. And a preacher prays as fast as they. Because Thomas was smart enough to give Daryl some credit. So he was like, even though I'm talking as these two demons, I'm just going to name check Daryl as the preacher who's praying as fast as everyone else. Uh, On his own. God, yeah. He's doing the praying of six men because he's, he's, the, he's the head honcho. He's got the power. Yeah. After these words, he fell into a fit and so into a trance. A voice being heard from him, big and hollow, saying, Brother Rodolphus, I will go unto my master Beelzebub, and he shall double their tongues. Then, beginning again to pray, he fell into a fit, and after, into another trance. Afterward, coming to himself, he pointed towards the chimney, saying, Lo, where Beelzebub stood, I charge thee in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, to tell me whether this be she that did bewitch me or no. Dost thou say it was she? Now the Lord, I beseech him to forgive her. So he he, he forgave the, the witch, who wasn't a witch, which is big of him in his little well, speech. Well done, you. <clears throat> Further, he said, I charge thee in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost to get thee from me, and come no more at me. So it is written, resist the devil, and he will fly from thee. And, at the third word, was thrown into a fit and a trance, wherein a voice was heard from him his mouth being wide open, as still it was when these voices uttered. So apparently he was managing to talk while his mouth remained slack-jawed and open. Mm, so, ventriloquist. Well, he had some training, clearly. Mm. And this is what those voices said, which this is my favourite bit. Rodolphus, Beelzebub can do no good. His head is broken off. <laughs> <laughs> The power of the prayer of John Darrell literally beheaded Beelzebub, one of the four princes of hell, 
lost his head because of John Darrell's praying skills. I bet he was feeling well smug after oh, that, wasn't he? he? Was, his chest was so puffed up. He was so happy. He's like, oh my... Yeah. I knew it. I knew I could best the devil. <laughs> I win. I win the game. Presently, after these words, he fell into another fit and trance and, lying so, said, I see an angel in the window, like a milk-white dove, sent from the Lord to be with me, to comfort and assist us. Thomas then fell into a long trance, waiting until John Darrell and the others had nearly drifted off to sleep before sitting bolt upright and insisting that the demons, in the form of little mice, had run out of his mouth and off into the corner of the room. There, where, where it's dark and you, you can't quite see them, but mm, they definitely convenient. went over there. And he was seen. He was done. Praise mm. the people. Yeah, and he then looked at Darrell. Looked at John Darrell and said, "You know, he was just waiting to see what the what the crazy, crazy man would say." Mm. And Darrell, he announced that he had cured Thomas. Yes, and Thomas breathed a huge sigh of relief. Uh, Darrell got all the thanks from the tunes. Then everyone went home happy that the ordeal was over and that ultimately no one had been hurt, excepting the two old women. (laughs) I was going to say two people are already dead. Okay, yeah, but they were almost certain, possibly maybe witches, so mm. they don't count as people. Um, mm. And never mind, there's now a, a daughter without a mother and a, a grieving husband, and I'm guessing at that point grandchildren who are also yeah. grieving the death of their lovely grandmother. Emboldened by such an obviously successful exorcism, John Darrell will go on to do seven more in Lancashire. Oh God before another attempted exorcism of a boy in Nottingham called William Somers. We've inflated his ego, haven't we? Well, this Somers exorcism in Nottingham, it finally gave the church authorities a means of stopping him. Because what he managed to do is piss off both the Puritans and the Catholics. Ah, you don't want to be sitting in that sandwich. because he wasn't wasn't quite either, because the Puritans were going, we don't do exorcisms. Yeah. This guy is, it's way too ritualistic, it's everything we don't like. And the yeah. Catholics are going, how the fucking dare you say you're breaking away and then steal our shit? This is one mm. of the best things we do. This is the, the, the money maker. This is what gets everyone excited about the Catholic Church. You can't start, yeah. you know, performing our greatest hits. Look, we, we are the bling factor here. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> Choose. You can either go full bling or you can go full, you know, hessian cloth. It's up to you. You've got to, be, you've got to take a side. You can't just cherry pick. John, come on now. Sort it out. The problem was, shortly after curing Summers, the young boy went to the magistrates in Nottingham to admit that he'd been faking his demon possession. Oh, okay. Even worse, he claimed that Daryl had put him up to it. (sighs) And at the trial in 1597, none other than Thomas Darling turned up. But he was not there to offer support for Daryl. Instead, he too stated that he had faked his own demon possession. God, he's in trouble now, isn't he? Well, he, it was a calculated risk because he did so as he wanted to attend Oxford University to study to become a minister. And his association with the exorcism wasn't helping his chances. Ah, okay. So this was his chance to do a hard reset and say, well, I, yeah, I was young and he put me up to it. But since was, then, yeah. I've learned the error of my ways and i now have been called to god to to atone so he wanted to do the you know the the bad boy turned good kind of sob story and it happens a lot doesn't it 
A lot of people find God later on in their lives. Yeah. I mean, we say later on, he was 14 at this point. Well, Which is later. the age at which you used to, you know, start studying at Oxford. Yeah. God, I was smoking around the back of the bike sheds at 14. You weren't studying at, at, at Oxford University to become a lawyer how do you, and how later do you a know? clergyman? What's wrong with you? I know, exactly. Mm. And you know what? It worked. The court seemed to skip over the fact that his faking of a, a you know, demonic possession had led to two deaths, and Thomas was accepted to Oxford in 1599. OK, fine. Which just goes to show, you know, the, the, the sort of entrance um, parameters weren't always as stringent as they are now. <laughs> you don't have to pass an exam. You just need to prove that you were not associated with this exorcism way back when, and then, yeah, fine, come on in. Yeah. And the fact that you did lie, you know, uh, and it resulted in the death of two people, that's just childish, James. I mean, yeah, and uh, yeah, it might be quite ungodly, but it's fine because, um, yeah, you're fit, so come on in. Yeah. You've, you've apparently your uncle and aunt have a bit of money, um, and you're, you're definitely not from the poorest of poor classes now. Well, he was, that's what I don't get. How did he get into Oxford when he's. You know, Maybe it wasn't so as poor. prestige. It Maybe a... it's like because there's two. I mean, I don't know Oxford that well, but in, like Cambridge was mm. was quite near where I was brought up. So there's two unis in Cambridge. So there's the Cambridge Uni, and mm. then there's I don't know whatever the other one is. But you could like everyone could just say they go to Cambridge Uni, can't they? Or like I'm at uni in Cambridge. Yeah, it's it's and about like, the no phrasing, one will isn't know. It? Yeah, I'm at I uni went in Cambridge. University in Cambridge, right? Yeah. Okay, because yeah. there's, there's the same in Oxford. There's Oxford University and there's Oxford Brown or something. A, there's another okay. university and you can always pick up on the people who go, I went to university in Oxford. Yeah. Mm. Did you now? Interesting, yeah. Mm. I, I, mean, well, I think it's any certificate. Anyone can buy them hoodies, can't they? Saying like Oxford University or like Cambridge University. Yeah, who's going to check? Um, I know, exactly. I went to a university anyway. and I got a degree, sod it. That should be enough for you. Yeah. Doesn't matter where it is. They're all no. they're all supposed to be, you know, um centrally managed. So one degree is as good as another. I got a first. There you go. Yeah. Congratulations. In nursing. And you are the finest nurse that Lancaster has ever seen. Oh god no. There are many, many more competent nurses than me. I'm just very, very good at passing exams. Are you? I never was. No, I can I can cram information. That's that's how I write these episodes. I can cram information, hold it in my head for a little bit, and then once I've birthed it, that's it, it's, it's gone. Oh, I like it. I like your process. It's like how magic works in Terry Pratchett's Discworld. You know, you could, as soon as you've used it, you have to start again learning the spell. It's exactly the same. Hmm. So you're a wizard? I, yes. I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm some form of, of knowledge wizard. Do you need an exorcism? Um, well, if you want to have a go, I will be a willing test subject. Okay, fine. I, d- I don't mind. Fine. Get the cattle prod out. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I'm enjoying myself. Go on. Go on. So, John Darrell was found guilty of fraudulent exorcism, and he was sent to prison for a year and a half. He retired from exorcism upon his release, but continued to write books and pamphlets, insisting that he had actually battled the devil and won, and that everyone else which just so happened to include the prosecutor in the case, who just so happened to have been elevated to the position of Archbishop of Canterbury. 
Ah, was just jealous of his amazing godly powers and his awesome hat. He seems really smug. I don't like him. It's it's the old school, you know, I've been caught out. So what I'm going to do is rather than accept that, I'm just going to double down and say, no, it's because everybody else is jealous. Because that is a defence that can work regardless of what uh, you say. It can, yeah, fine. Yeah. Business, no matter what but, someone yeah. comes at you with, statistics, facts, you know, eyewitness testimony, you're just, you're just jealous and they're jealous. They're jealous that I'm awesome. And yeah. that's, that's what he did for the rest of his mm-hmm. life. He spent just doing that. John Darrell's legacy today, though, is the 77th canon, which expressly forbids exorcisms to be undertaken without explicit Episcopal permission. So, so is this in Church of England? Uh, this is, yeah, this is um, uh, C of E, yeah. Right, cool. So basically, they had to put in the Darrell rule. That is, <laughs> you, you can't go off and just half-cocked announce you're going to do an exorcism. You have to at least run it by the authorities. I didn't... Yeah, so exorcisms are still not a C of E thing. I mean, they're not really a Catholic thing anymore, are they? No, they are. um, They clearly are both. Exorcisms still uh, happen. Um, Do they really? What the hell, man? Yeah, there are rules to exorcisms. You have to be quite stringent in being able to demonstrate that it is an exorcism and not a mental illness. So some of them are... The person has to exhibit uh, superhuman strength. Uh, they okay. have to exhibit knowledge that they could not possibly have gained other than by demonic influence. That uh, must be really hard now with the, the internet. Yeah, they have to be able to have um, the ability to speak languages that they would not um, otherwise know. Bonsoir? I don't think just, uh, you know, good evening is going to cut it. I think you're going to have to go a bit further. Bonsoir, monsieur? <laughs> There's three demons in it. <laughs> no, it's, you know, it's like if you suddenly were able to speak fluent Mandarin, they would then be allowed to perform an exorcism on you. Okay. If, well, if you if you spoke fluent Mandarin and then threw me across the room um, one-handed like a javelin, you know, if you, if you channeled your inner Fatima Whitbread and just launched me, <laughs> wow. What, from, from, from London? From, from right here? Yeah, if you if you launched me from London, that's that's the strength of your arm. You're able to do that. Then maybe you'd be demonic possession. But they, I think they've made it. They've set the bar so high that basically nothing gets over it. But technically, it they still do it. So hard to be like a member of these religious orders now mm. because we're just so factual now, aren't we? Like, well, yeah. That's definitely that, and that's definitely this, and da 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 da. And um... are we, are we that factual though? It's just a case of it's now secular. You've got conspiracy theorists. You've got mm, and all of this. I, guess so. I think all of it is the idea of I'm part of a secret. You know, I know something that you don't know, and it makes my life more exciting. Because to be honest, John Darrell's life was probably most exciting when he honestly thought he was battling the devil. He was running around Lancashire performing exorcism after exorcism, finding witches, because I didn't even mention the fact that he um, accused another 13 witches. <laughs> Just casually. But that was his life everywhere. There were demons and there were witches and there were these forces of evil and he was the only one fighting it. And that must have been so exciting mm. to live I that remember life. getting really freaked out once. So this girl that I went to school with, Emily, she, she used to say that she was a witch, right? 
And because um, I was like in the emo crowd, she was just I, a goth. Um, she was just a goth, but she was like, "Yeah, I'm a witch, and and I do this, and we're going to do this spell to give us loads of money and stuff." So we all kind of like bought into it a little bit. You know how like you you sort of bounce off each other and stuff. And she 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 did this thing, and we were like, "Oh, we're going to get loads of money." And then she turned around, and she was just like, "But the money will be cursed. Anything you spend it on will." Da, 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 da. And I remember going home being fucking terrified that I just like let the fucking devil into like my life. Well, and, that's pretty um, much ritual in a nutshell. You went there and you you believed it, and it had. I power did. I, got, over I did get in that situation. Absolutely got caught up in it, and I remember telling my mum. She was like, "Don't be so bloody ridiculous." Yeah. So now, <laughs> now imagine instead of you know you told your mum and she went, "You're being a tit." Yeah. You told your mum and she went, "Yes." Yes, you will be cursed now. We must take you to the priest and he must cleanse you. Mm, I mean, And the entire system is just, like, totally affirming that superstition. Yeah. I mean, I guess, like, obviously being a gay, like, I would have been... Oh, the demons are deep in you. (laughs) Okay, fine. (laughs) That's that's the only reason. (laughs) Don't worry. We can can pray that out. We'll just do uh, a cross of prayers, yeah. Pray it away. Because all of those Christian anti-gay sort of conversion centres, they've not led to mass suicide. They've not led to drug addiction and, and misery. They've only had positive results. Mm, absolutely. And no suppression at all. And it's not come out in very odd ways ever. No. Fact. I mean, the important thing to remember is that um, being gay has never occurred in any church, any Christian denomination. There's never been an incidence of a gay person existing in these organisations, and that's because they pray it away. Mm. Mm. And it obviously works for them. Yeah. You never Mm. hear of somebody just suppressing and suppressing and suppressing until they eventually get caught. They're all bloody at it, aren't they? They're all bummers. (laughs) That's your word. I shall not use it. <laughs> as, a, as a gay, I can. It's mm. fine. I'm giving it to you. You can I, use it as I, well. I, 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 don't, I don't want it, I, if I'm honest. I was, I was watching... Uh, I was re-watching Catherine Tate the other day, and it would never be made, like, now. Oh, but God. I still find it really funny. It's just like, me, dear, gay, dear, no, dear, how very dare you. <laughs> it cracks me up. So, anyway, just to finish, as a postscript to this story... I know what you're thinking. You're thinking... Which? You're thinking, Thomas Darling, he is responsible for the death of two old women. Hmm. He helped to ruin someone who, to be fair, in terms of, you know, Thomas Darling's story, John Darrell gave him an out. He was the person who threw him a lifeline when he was drowning in this never-ending demon possession he had to do. And you're thinking, he, he didn't get any comeuppance at all. Please tell me you did. Nothing happened to him. In fact, he went to Oxford to study, to become a priest, and he would then be telling other people what was morally right and wrong. That can't be right. <laughs> well, oh, go on. whilst at Oxford, he decided he'd get into an argument with, with the vice-chancellor, a John Howson, and in mm. the heat of the moment, he made some mildly liable statements, libelous statements. So he may have said some things that were you know, verifiably not true because we know that Thomas has a passing interest in the truth and he will say anything if he thinks it's 
it's going to benefit him in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, the things that he said were so shocking that it was considered an appropriate punishment for Thomas Darling to be soundly whipped <laughs> and to have both of his ears cut off. What? Before being expelled. Both of his ears cut off? Uh, yes, and this happened when he was 18. So I don't know what happened to Thomas Darling after that, but he was an unemployed 18-year-old with no ears who I'm assuming was disowned by his family at this point because they finally had enough of What did he say? I don't know. It was just, Everywhere I looked, it was just... And he made some libelous comments. I'm like, ooh, I, I mean... what they were up to. That, oh, God, I need... Oh. The whipping, it's like... Cliffhanger. The whipping is enough, but then just like, oh, there's one more thing. Can you oh, still he... hear if you cut off your ears? Uh, yes, yeah, you can, because it's, it's just the outer lobes, isn't it? So the, the, the apparatus is lodged in your head there so you can still hear right i don't know if he if he bought himself a pair of fake ears on like an alice band that he put over his head or if he just went with it i mean he was responsible for two people's deaths so half of me would think okay fine but he lost an ear for each old woman he had killed yeah but yes so that is the funny story I, i promised you it'd be funny the funny funny story of thomas darling's exorcism it is funny, isn't it? I can't believe he lost two ears at the end. That's baffled me. <laughs> I've, out, of, out of all the things, maybe he was like listening to idle gossip. Maybe that's why they cut off his ears. I, I like to think that he tried the same thing all over again. He was like, he wasn't getting enough attention. He's like, I know what I'll do. I'll fart on the vi- on the vice chancellor. I'll, <laughs> I'll break wind. I'll do a scrape on the vice chancellor. And then, and then the vice chancellor was like. Oh no, dear! <laughs> You're in the big loop now. I will cut your ears off and whip you. I don't know which order it happened in. It may have been that the the vice chancellor was just so agitated he he cut his ears off as soon as he farted on him, and then it was like, and then we'll have a trial and whip you. He must have been a really irritating character if all of this has happened to him by the time he was eighteen. Well, I get, I get the feeling that he was just a dickhead. I mean, the sense that I get is that. At least John Darrell truly believed. He was one of those people who just is narcissistic um, and can't believe that he doesn't have superpowers and a special purpose. Mm. But Thomas Darling comes across as someone who is just an arse and just does things... Attention-seeking, no-eared, whipped arse. Oh, yes. They definitely were like, work your way down the back... We've got to the buttocks. Include the buttocks. Continue <laughs> whipping. Whip the ears. Maybe they whipped the ears off. They didn't oh. cut them off. Well, apparently, and this is apropos of nothing, it takes a very small amount of pressure to rip an ear off. And in some rape defence classes, they suggest that one of the things you can do is grab the ear and just, in a short, sharp motion, just yank down because you're likely to detach a good portion of the ear. I mean, that's really made me cringe. Well, it's, it's the kind of thing that you think would deter a rapist. You know, that suddenly they've got something else that they need to deal with. I mean, yeah, I'm fine. But yeah, in terms of pounds of pressure, anyone can rip off an ear. Okay, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Yeah, just, you know, try it. Let me know. I'm done with you. Good day. <laughs> I'll be like, he's not, he's, not going to, um, he's not going to Glasgow. He's going to prison. That's where he's going. 
Hi there, it's Emma, Chief Organiser at Consistently Eccentric, here to remind you all that if you like what you hear, you can catch up with all previous episodes and session series by searching for us on Acast, Spotify and iTunes. How fancy. You can also join us on Instagram at Consistently Eccentric Podcast, where we update on the weekly episode and post all of our bonus content for you lucky lot. See you next week.